Teaching ELL students is a privilege and a joy. Is it easy? No way. But with the right support, you can feel empowered to tackle each day with ease and confidence. I'm your host, Beth Fauché, founder of Inspiring Young Learners. With over 10 years of teaching both nationally and internationally, I know what it takes to ensure that your ELL students have what they need to thrive today, tomorrow, and for life. I'm on a mission to empower you to equip your English language learners. Welcome to Equipping ELLs. Let's get to today's episode. Hey, Beth, welcome to the show. I'm so excited you're here today. Hi, Beth. It's so nice to be here with you. Absolutely. We're going to be diving into different topics from advice from a veteran teacher. So why don't you start and just share a little bit about your teaching experience and what you've been doing? So I started my first year of teaching as a classroom teacher, and it was a combination fourth, fifth grade class. It was amazing to me how much I didn't know. So over the next several years, I set about trying to learn as much as I could. And during that time, I realized I really enjoyed working with English learners. So I worked toward getting my master's in teaching ESL. And I taught for 11 years in different grade levels as a classroom teacher Took a little break um, when my two sons were born, and then I went back to teaching as an ESL teacher, and I'm just finishing up my 13th year working with English language learners as an ESL or English language development specialist. And one of my favorite things about teaching is the reset that summer provides, and I love um, getting ready for a new school year. I love that. I wish all jobs had that, you know, like that, that natural reset of like, you know what? All right, let's take what was good from this last year and let's look ahead and see what we want to get better at. And, you know, if that's our attitude year after year, we're going to really create classrooms that work and that our students are thriving. And yes, there's sometimes things outside of our control with, you know, different groups of students or just things that are happening in the school. But I love that attitude of like, all right, here's a reset. Let's look ahead. How can we really prepare for this upcoming year? So Awesome. And what area are you teaching in right now? I mostly work with first and second graders. I've taught over those 13 years from pre-K through third grade has sort of been my focus. But this past year, it was more first and second graders. Oh, I love that grade. They're the best. (laughs) I'm biased. I just love those grades too. So, all right. Well, I wanted to have you on this episode today because I know there's a lot of teachers who have, they're they're like you and I, I was also a classroom teacher and then kind of, you know, got the experience of ESL and had my bilingual certificate and just fell in love with working with multilingual learners. And so I know there's a lot that are in that same situation who might be coming out of being a homeroom classroom teacher and are now diving into the world of being an ESL teacher or just new to ESL in general. And so it can be really overwhelming. And it's it's a very different approach to setting up your classroom and your schedule and the paperwork and all these other things that as a homeroom teacher, we didn't we didn't have to deal with some of those things in the same way. And so I wanted to have you on to just share just your advice and tips of how can teachers get set up for the year and have a really successful school year. We're going to be walking through four different overarching tips. We're going to be talking about organization, which is huge. If you don't get a a good system set up, this can really take you down. Even if you're in the homeroom classroom, we know that just the amount of paperwork. But we're going to be talking about organization today. We're going to be talking about building strong relationships, creating a welcoming environment, 
and then also just giving it some time. So Beth, why don't you dive in and start with that first one and share some tips that you've experienced and things that have worked for you when it comes to staying organized, because this really is so critical to how successful the year is going to go. It really is. And, you know, I want to be organized, but if I'm honest, it doesn't come really easily for me. So having, you know, some systems in place has saved me time from searching for things, especially when another teacher needed that information right away. And the paperwork is at times the hardest piece for ESL teachers because there's a lot more compliance, at least there is for me, than there was in the regular Mm -hmm. um, classroom. Some people I know are the point of contact for their school, and that just, you know, adds some additional paperwork. We use an online platform called Elevation, which is great Mm -hmm. for some student information. But at our school, we screen pre-K and kindergartners so that we have papers related to that. We have parent refusal letters, papers related to beginning of the year assessments. We just, I need a place to put these things. And I know people have opinions on print versus digital, and honestly, I need both. Mm -hmm. Um, But whatever people choose, whether it's print, digital, or both, you need some sort of folder system to keep what you need at your fingertips. And so I have some file folders ready for the first day of school. And then I also have digital files created where I can just put as those papers come in, just put them right where they need to go. Or if you get really busy, you know, at the end of the week, making sure that you've got the things where you need them. Absolutely. Yes. And I I love that you're starting off with that because that's been something that I've been sharing a lot in this podcast of just the importance of setting up those systems and saying, you know, whether it's every day you file out those papers, you put them in the right folder, or you set aside one day a week, you know, even for half an hour, because I know if it, for teachers who are pushing in or pulling out and it can kind of feel like this shove and go and you throw all the papers in a bag or whatever you store your stuff and it just becomes a total mess. And we waste a lot of time that way when we're not set up like, so I love that. And I love that you're, yeah, the digital and paper, because, you know, we, we do need both and and you're going to have like the assessment and things like that. They're going to be paper version. So this is a great tip to have some sort of filing system set up before the year so that now you're ready to just go with the students and you're, that you're working with. Yeah. And that, you know, that's just the, the, like sort of that compliance paperwork. And then I know that, you know, there's then all the materials that you need. And we know as ESL teachers that there are so many possibilities of where you could be teaching. I know I've shared before, I've taught in trailers and hallways and shared classrooms. And one summer school, I even taught behind the curtain on a stage. So we know that our spaces can be so different, but we still need a place for these materials to go. And I always say to take stock of like what your school has, especially if you're new, find out my first year of teaching, there was a beautiful book room. I had no idea it was there until the spring because it was <laughs> under lock and key and nobody told me it was there. So definitely if you're new to a school or ask, say, what do we have here? And have someone mm-hmm. give you a little tour because even just the other day, I thought our school was out of glue sticks and she went back and looked in the usual spot and it had been restocked. So, yeah. um, you know, just, I definitely advise all teachers to take stock of what your school has that can change from year to year, what money they have for materials, they may have things you need. And, um, or you may just by asking, you may encourage another teacher to share with you or where she got something or where he found um, a great resource. So I think not being afraid to ask those questions about materials is super helpful too. Oh yeah. And that's a great advice for new teachers as well. Just seeing what's already there. I mean, 
I can't tell you how many times I would discover, I found this whole vocabulary program behind the TV when I was teaching in a room. I was like, do we know this is here? This is a great program. And they're like, oh yeah, they didn't order more books of that. But sometimes that's a benefit to the ESL teacher because it's like, well, I only have a couple of students I'm working with. So I, I don't need a whole class set of books, you know? So I love that. Just get creative, start, start searching in those basements, ask the custodian, right? What do we have down there? Cause there might be some really good gems and, and gives you a starting place. It definitely does. And there are just a few things that I feel like I have to have to start teaching, you know, books, but that is going to depend on your curriculum and grade level. I love those clear plastic sleeves because then you can use, you don't have to do as much printing. You can use a certain resource over and over again. You know, I have a couple of bins by grade level, but you could also, if you work more with um, one grade level, you could have a bin per like group, but in my bins, I have a student folder. So each student keeps organized too. When they finish something, they know it goes in that folder. And that way I don't have their papers all over the classroom it's, <laughs> and it's organized. And I can go through each student's folder and see, you know, how they're doing. And I have other materials in the classroom. I found that having students bring pencils, crayons, that was too much. Either it took time for them to organize those to get ready to leave the classroom in pull out or they would forget something or a pencil would need to be sharpened. And then you, you know, that instructional time is so precious and we have such a limited amount of time and pull out that I felt like if I had everything ready for them to use one hurdle, you know, I just don't have to get over. The last thing you want is when they come to group, you're like, oh, go get, go back and get a pencil. Oh, now your pencil's not sharpened. Okay. Now we're five minutes in the class and we're still trying to find the material to use to write. And then it's just, you lose momentum. They lose momentum. (laughs) You're right. It's precious that teaching time. Will you share a little bit, Beth, about student organization here? So those students who come into your classroom for pullout, they have their own folder. Do they have a notebook system as well? Or what does that look like? So the way I do it is they have a folder and I, I bought the plastic, you know, two pocket folders because they last more than one year Mm -hmm. and they don't seem to fall apart. And on one side, I have a notebook. I have either, I've used both, you know, the marble black and white composition Mm -hmm. books with working with younger learners. We use the phonics program foundations and they Mm -hmm. have a student uh, composition book. So that goes on one side and on the other side is where they sort of keep their papers in there, I have vocabulary words with visuals to get them started off and get that sort of ready ahead of time. If I were traveling from place to place, I would also have sort of like an office, if you will, a file folder with things on it that they could stick up to, you know, work with. Things that I would have in the classroom hanging up, I'd bring a portable, you know, one with me. But basically, their folder has this notebook and then their papers and a few vocabulary supports. I love that. Great to just kind of get a visual of what this looks like. Cause sometimes I think we overcomplicate it and then we don't stick with it. So, you know, start, start simple and see what works for you and then add on to that, but having some sort of central place. And they know that the beginning of the class, I have it on my table, but at the end, they know the system is they put it in their grade level box. They line up at the door, you know? So it's just, you know, you know, from being a classroom teacher too, just those routines at the beginning are so important and they do have a sense of ownership because it's their folder. They're in charge of keeping it organized and the paper straight and everything. So that's helpful too. Awesome. I love it. All right, let's keep going. What else do you have for us? Well, I was thinking a little bit about student information too, in terms of organizing, because, you know, it's so, I'm, I'm really, you know, grateful for changes we put in place at our school, because when I first got there, I would walk into a classroom for push-in or whatever, and I would look and I would see a new student and I would say, wait a minute, 
And they would clearly be not understanding what was going on. I'd look at the teacher and they would throw up their hands like, I didn't know. They just came. And we'd be with this poor student who had just arrived in the country in their classroom and no one was ready for it. So over, you know, it's taken a little bit of time, but now so much, and, and advocate, you know, being an advocate too, but now our registrar sends out an email and includes me or the other English language teacher and the classroom teacher and the parents. Here's your homeroom teacher. You know, the, the English learner teacher is on this email. Here's the first day of school. So that way we all know their first day of school, who the classroom teacher is. I make sure they get the information about language testing and in, I, we introduce ourselves and it's so much better process. And then I know, since I know the day they're coming, I can meet them at the door. I can give them a quick tour if they arrive early. And we just, <laughs> I just got a new student last, uh, last week. I know we're recording this. I'm at the very end of the school year. Yeah. And with six days left, a new student, and I went, you know, I knew, but I knew he was coming and yeah. I could walk him through, you know, around the school, show his mother where to pick him up. And it was just so helpful rather than it being a shock to everyone, especially the student. Yes. Oh, wow. That's that. I know it is amazing to just look down and see a student. They're like, oh, wow. Okay. Welcome. <laughs> I mean, imagine right. a student's perspective. And I, I know we talk about that so often here on the podcast of the power behind creating that welcoming environment and those especially those initial things when they first arrive and, you know, being that support that, that just really is so impactful to them seeing that they're welcomed, that they are, you know, that they're going to get the support they need. So I love that you saw where there was a breakdown and then fixed it by saying, okay, the secretary is going to send out, you know, and everyone's going to be on the same page. And now we have a system and we know what to do. Um, So I think that leads us right into, let's talk about how do you build strong relationships from the beginning? Because things like that, I mean, really, we really cannot underestimate the power behind showing up, having a smile, just being a step ahead of them to make sure that we're prepared to, you know, meet their needs and welcome them and their families. And so what are the things would you share with us of how can we build strong relationships from the beginning? Well, I just uh, wanted to make sure I mentioned, I just listened to your podcast recording with Emily Francis and how you talked about the power of relationships and connection. It was so great. And, you know, I think as teachers, we we really strive to work on that. And it's not just with the students, you know, it's really with the whole school. And yeah. so, you know, the first person I always think of is the classroom teacher and how to get off on the right foot. And it's, it's, you know, it's just so important to figure out how you're going to meet with them. And I know that schedules are busy and it's easy to say, you know, we just don't have time or current planning time. But I really have found that even if it's a Google Doc that you both can write on, it makes such a big difference. I was talking to another EL teacher at my school and we have now at our school more students who are duly identified. Mm-hmm. So they're English learners, but they're also receiving special education services and so having that shared document where their IEP goals can be on it and their language goals and, you know, activities that will help meet these goals and then, you know, sort of assessment information is just so valuable. But you have to set up that system again and talk about it and then just really decide who is in charge of what yeah. and make sure that you keep going back to it. So it's so nice to have technology that can help us when we don't have a shared planning time. But we definitely need to build those relationships with teachers so they feel comfortable putting things, you know, down and um, going back over it. And it can be email, text too. The important thing is just not to, you know, let it let it slide. 
Yes. Um, the school year it, goes too fast. <laughs> it really does. And, you know, I know some students have, you know, it's more than this too. There may be other shared service providers such as yeah. OT or, you know, speech. There can be many other things. So that's really important. Of course, I think that's a, want- a, I think that's a great point real fast, Beth. But I think if yeah. you're a new teacher or in a new school, you know, sometimes it's hard to, to figure out what the dynamics are. But I think, you know, we really want to encourage you to take that initiative if they don't have something in place like that, because mm-hmm. it is so powerful to have a shared document for, you know, the conversations to happen so that because time is limited to meet, even if you if you don't have a planning time, you know, a lot of times it's in passing in the hallway, you're having this conversation. And that's extremely difficult to make any progress forward unless there's a shared document that, okay, we're all on the same page. And now we can quickly kind of just throw these ideas around and, and know that, you know, who's responsible for this, because we have a, a shared document that we're all looking at. So I think, for those teachers who are new to ESL, that might feel like, I, I don't know if I have that expertise yet. You do, you know, you, you're bringing your expertise in and you're going to learn in the process, but just encouraging our listeners to, to step out there and create those types of things if they're not happening in, in the school that you're working in. Yeah, absolutely. And let's see, um, with students, you know, we, I think we talk a lot about getting to know the students first, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, I know there's a lot of pressure to jump in with curriculum and I know I've definitely fallen victim to this in the past, but everything you hear, um, is true that those relationships really set the foundation for everything that comes afterward. So those getting to know you activities where you find out, you know, really, you know, neat things about your students gives you a shared bond and, you know, just then moving into, you know, what are their um, academic capabilities? Because we all know they have definite strengths. And so we want to make sure that we build on those too. So getting to them as a person, as a student, and really just knowing where their starting point is so we can really build off of that. I love that. Now, share a little bit about, um, because I know this is a struggle for a lot of teachers is there's that pressure of assessing and, you know, getting right down to academics. What do they already know? Where do we need to start with them? So what does that look like for you when you're working, you know, on assessing? Walk us through that. Like, so you're, you have a screener for any new student that is done, but then, you know, do you do your own beginning of year assessment? What does that look like? So we have a couple different things. All of the students in the elementary school I work at have a beginning of the year reading assessment. Mm -hmm. So they all take that. If they're new to the country the first year, they are exempt so that, but I will still try to do it. So I have a starting point. Then in addition to that, we, for our own sort of, you know, how we're evaluated, I guess I should say, we look at beginning of the year and end of the year. So I've used all four language domains some years and they said we didn't have to, you know, be so rigid in having all of that down, even though, of course, we were finding out the information. So we do a beginning of the year, you know, speaking and writing in addition to the reading assessments and sometimes in a listening assessment as well. Mm -hmm. Can you walk us through what your speaking and writing assessments look like? Sure. The the writing I keep pretty simple. It's just a basic prompt, especially for, you know, students that you know really aren't writing yet. Mm-hmm. And then a similar prompt for the end of the year, just okay. to show the growth. And for these assignments, I tell them, I'm not going to help you for this. As soon as we do this, I'll be able to support you because I'll know exactly what you can do on your own. 
So it's just sort of a writing prompt. And then they, they do a little writing or drawing with it, depending on the age. And then, you know, we follow up at the end of the year. And it is amazing to see their growth. Speaking is usually has a scene, if you will. So a scene of a city, for example, with mm-hmm. a series of, of questions from, you know, what is this? And see if they can name things to mm-hmm. more complicated, you know, would you like to live in a city? Why or why not? You know, and then going on from there. And do you record their speaking then? Yes, yeah, sometimes. I wasn't <laughs> I will I will in one way or another. I've used devices to record it. I'm not as good like that. I'm better putting down specific notes handwritten. I feel like I refer back to that a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but that's I think that's what if you if for listeners that are great at technology and and you know are good at saving those files and comparing them, absolutely it's a great mm-hmm. thing to have in their portfolio yeah. of how they sound at the beginning of the year and the end of the year. I just know that's not my strength as yeah. much having to keep track of all of those. So I'm better with here are their answers from the beginning of the year and here's what they said at the end of the year. You know what? That's a good point though, too, because it's like, you can't do it all. So figure out what, what goes with your personality, what's your strength and go with that. And I think that's a really important thing to share with those who are new to the ESL world is you're going to have a lot of demands on your plate. So figure out where you really can light up and really, and what works for you and and go with that. And then you can add on more later. I love it. For sure. That's good advice. All right. So let's move into creating a welcoming environment. I mean, I know you've shared a little bit about how you have had the experience of teaching even on the stage behind the curtain and in the hallways. And I know that's a lot of our listeners experience too, of of not always knowing what to expect when it comes to what their classroom environment is going to look like. So how can you get creative with that? And what do you recommend on still being able to create a welcoming environment? Well, if you're lucky enough, you know, to have your own space, then I like to do a little planning for the displays. I think it's really great to have flags from their home countries. A teacher I work with has the students color their flags. Some teachers at my school have done alphabets in different languages. And I think that's so valuable for students to see, you know, their own language right up there on the wall, if you have the space for it. And then I think it's important to have photos of students, particularly, you know, at the beginning of the year, you know, you can take photos of them doing different classroom commands if they're brand new, like showing a student standing up or taking out their folder and they have a great visual. They are the visual. Yeah. And it's nice. I think they feel ownership when they are, they see themselves in a photo or also in, you know, when you display their work. So I think those are all things to plan ways to how will you really bring in, you know, their countries, their language, themselves, you know, them. How will you bring them into your classroom and make it feel like it's a place for all of you? And it's not your space as the teacher. It's our space as our little community. Yes. So I I think that that, that's really helpful. And if you don't have that, I think then a teacher I work with is always with, I was mentioning the notebooks before they have in their folder. Mm -hmm. She will print out various pictures. It could be the students, you know, flag from their home country. It could be, they love ice cream and it's a picture of ice cream and they decorate their notebook with all of Mm -hmm. their favorite things. And so they can take that out every day. They see reminders of this is me, this is my notebook. And these are all of, you know, my favorites. I love that. Yes. Opportunities for them to see themselves wherever you're teaching at, whatever the space looks like. That's so I think true. I think too, you know, encouraging our listeners here to get creative and and really advocate for your students. So if you are teaching in a small space or you don't have even a bulletin board, look around the school, find an empty wall and see if you can display some of your students' work because I think that's such a powerful way for the school to really also become aware of the incredible work that's going on 
you know, in the ESL classrooms, these students who are bilingual and trilingual and all these things. And so doing a project and seeing if there's a space, even if you don't have your own bulletin board, where you can display the work that the students are doing so that the whole school can really see the work that's being done. The, the teaching conditions can really vary from school to school and even year year to year. I'm lucky yeah. now because we, at some point during my 13 years, we renovated the building and we, in for two years, we were in trailers while they were renovating and then we moved back in. So now there are, there are more spaces for specialists and I have my own little room, but I know it can change, you know, yeah. and yeah. Uh, we, our school is growing. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that I'll be sharing that space in a few years or even yeah. this coming year. Yeah. Flexibility is a trait that you must have as a, as a teacher. So, all for right. Sure. So I know a big topic that is a big stressor for ESL teachers is scheduling and grouping and, you know, all of that at the beginning of the year, so much time is spent those initial first weeks as you're wanting to get to know your students. A lot of it is spent trying to figure out how you're going to get to know your, how you're going to get to meet with your students and what this looks like. So can you give us advice on how you set up your schedule and you know what you found that has worked? I will preface it by saying it's hard. It's definitely one of the hard things every year. I know some schools, they are handed a schedule. We haven't been so far. We've been sort of tasked with figure it out with the teachers you're working with. So I try, there's, there is a master schedule. So I know when the grade levels are doing, you know, lunch, their resource classes like PE, music, and recess, and all those things are in there. So I start with when I know I can't work with students. Mm -hmm. When they are at lunch, I know I can't have a class with them. And I, I've advocated over the years, please, you know, stagger as much as you can, because if every kid in the school is either at lunch or recess, that makes it a little tricky to meet with somebody. Yeah. So that's something that I feel like every year we we keep we keep reminding, you know, and saying, wait, wait, well, you know, I need a chance to work with them. So, but once you get past here are the time, absolute times I cannot work with them for one reason or another, then I go about looking at where the start with the language arts blocks. And, you know, if is this grade level available? No. Is this grade? Level? Yes. Okay. That's a great time. And I put in sort of the grade levels first. And then I go from there to deciding push in or pull out. And that will depend in part on proficiency levels and what they're actually doing during that time. So I found that writing is a great time for push in. We can do a lot of support, small group work where it's a little trickier during a read aloud. Mm -hmm. And that might, especially if it's um, heavy content, that might be something I want to do the same read aloud, but in my classroom and give more support can also do push in. And it just depends on your relationship with the teacher too, and what you've set up for co-teaching. Basically, that's how I go about it. I eliminate the times when I can't work with students, then I place in grade level times. And then I go from there to individual students and teachers. I should say at our school, the principal has, we've worked with him to give us more latitude in where we place students. So we cluster them without overloading the classroom so that it makes it easier to do, hopefully push in. And also when we pull out, the students are grouped, you know, in a way that's helpful to us as, you know, specialists. Okay, that's great. I was going to ask a little bit more about what your groups look like. So are you working with a variety of language levels when you pull the groups or you're specifically kind of separating them by newcomers in one group and then you might be pushing in more for your your higher students? What does that look like? It honestly, and this is one of the hardest things, is that it does change from year to year because the yeah. students 
levels and numbers can change so much from year to year. In general, I will say that I will try to cluster newcomers together mm-hmm. and then, you know, intermediate and, you know, high, beginner and well, higher level students together. So if they're this year, for example, I had five newcomers to the country um, in first grade. And so I pulled them out together. And then I had another group of first graders who were, you know, beginning readers and writers and those I grouped together. And um, I also had a couple of students who were duly identified and they were being pulled by their special education teachers. So I did with them more push in during writing time. So it, I really try to fine tune it based on the students and their needs and do a combination if I can of both push in and pull out. Yeah. I, I mean, that's really helpful. I think to just hear your thought process of, of when you do what, cause it can feel really overwhelming to know what, what to do, what groups to pull. Sometimes, you know, they're expected to pull all of them at once since we have a mixed level group and that can be hard. So I think no, having to think, having the time and space to think this through is going to be helpful so that people can advocate for what really is best for the students and, and really the time that they need to. I mean, that's also, you have to look at the time, you know, yes. that they're supposed Absolutely. to be serving. Have, so. <laughs> right. We have a, we have time amounts that, that each student is supposed to receive. Yeah. So that also, of course, goes into play. And, you know, if there are a lot of students with a lot of hours and obviously your groups get bigger and you have less flexibility in, you know, well, I want to have just newcomers in this group. You may not be able to, or what, you know, it just depends on how many, I know many teachers have so many students that that isn't feasible or they're in multiple schools. And in some cases you, that doesn't allow you to do push in, you have to do pull out. And then something that I always say is if it doesn't work, if something is not working and I've gotten better at this over the years, don't be afraid to stop and make mm-hmm. changes because it'd be so easy to just leave a schedule that's not working and keep going. And you blink and the school year is over yeah. where if you realize that, you know, that classroom seems to be eating their snack at that time and you don't want them to bring their snack because it's just hard for them to talk when they've got food in their mouth or whatever <laughs> the case might be. Yeah. Then maybe you either ask the teacher if they can shift snack by 15 minutes or you shift that time within their class that is doing something different that it doesn't you know, impact the student or the quality of the pullout you're doing. That's a great, great piece of advice. Awesome. So Beth, why don't you share one more with us before we finish up today? Oh gosh. I mean, I think the most important advice is to be patient with yourself. I know when I went back as an ESL specialist, I was really shocked at how the first day is so different from the role as a classroom teacher. You know, as a classroom mm-hmm. teacher, you have all the activities, all the things to just jump into in terms of routines and procedures and getting to know you. And as a specialist, you're really putting out some fires. And it can be so different every year. I know one year I had a kindergarten student who was just sobbing. And my job that first day was to get her acclimated. <laughs> And, you know, you don't know that until your students show up on the first day. And I come home, you know, I still come home every every day of the first week of school and say, I'm not really sure what I did today because you worked on schedules and met with classroom teachers and, you know, helped students who were crying and, you know, did all those things. And I think that's normal. I guess that's what I want listeners to know, that if you're Mm -hmm. new to this, that's normal. And it does take a while. I reassured a teacher this year who was a reading specialist. She's like, 
it takes a little while to get your schedule up and running, doesn't it? And I said, mm. yes, just be patient. We'll get there. And if you spend the time now, it will pay off. Yeah. You just have to be willing to sort of wait it out. Try yeah. and try out your schedule. If it doesn't work, make changes. Try it again. You know, give feedback, get feedback, and really, you know, work with the others in your building to, you know, support them and let them support you in meeting the needs of your students. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a great point because it is, it takes a lot longer to get into the groove of the school year as a specialist. And I think that's a great point to, to make to our new teachers that you'll get there. It just, yeah, it, it takes not a little longer. Yeah. Try not to get frustrated and, yeah. you know, you just keep doing the best you can to support your students until your schedule really is moving and grooving. Awesome. I love that. Well, Beth, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you share where people can find out a little bit more about you? Sure. I think the the, the best place to find me is on Instagram. It's at the underscore ESL underscore teacher. And, you know, I have a blog link to that that I try to keep up with. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm happy to answer messages or, you know, questions or whatever people want to know right there on Instagram. So people should feel free to just get in touch. We will link that in the show notes so people can check you out, follow you and send you a message if they want to. So thank you so much for your advice. And these tips are going to be so helpful going into the school year. So thank you so much, Beth, for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done-for-you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.